0: I'm really glad that you're here with us for Christmas Eve and uh, we get to take just the next uh, 15-20 minutes or so and reflect on uh, one of the eternal gifts of Christmas. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been away from home for Christmas? Uh, Maybe it was a business trip, maybe uh, it was during your college years or something like that. There was a time when you just couldn't get Home for Christmas. I remember when I was in college. I spent many Christmases away from home, and, and there was just something missing. If you've ever been away from home for Christmas, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, home is that place where you have a comfortable bed, uh, that place where you can kind of count on some good home cooked food, that that place where you know that for Christmas time that there's going to be friends and family and. And you get to tell fun stories and joke and laugh together. Of course, in my case, me and my brothers like to tell embarrassing moments on one another. You know, if you've never been away from home, you have this grass is greener mentality and say, ah, you know, there's a lot of better places to be than home. But then when you go away from home, there's no place you'd rather be. And if you didn't grow up in the idyllic home, you can still resonate with this, right? Because you can envision how home could be a good place, a place to be, a place where you're known, a place where you're safe, a place where you are accepted and loved. This uh, Christmas season, we've talked about a couple of eternal gifts that you get because Jesus came. We talked about happiness. We talked about peace. But Tonight, I want us to reflect on our eternal home. What the place that the Bible calls is heaven. Heaven. It was in 1943 that a song was written, performed by Bing Crosby, and it became one of our classic holiday songs. It was written from the perspective of a soldier, who was away from home during World War II. And it has lyrics that, you know, when when you listen to the melody of the song, it sticks in your head, but also the lyrics of the song are actually quite somber, especially if you hear the closing line. Let me read it to you. Uh, Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only... In my dreams. And and you know the title of that song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Now, the closing lines reveal for these soldiers that there was this tension in the sense that they wanted to be home, but that was a reality that was not going to happen yet. Now, maybe, maybe you can relate to that tension. Let me ask you what if heaven? is what you have always longed for. What if the the longing that most of of us have for an ideal world is is a craving that is actually something that is meant to be satisfied? What if, like the soldiers in that song, you long for an eternity that has all of the makings of home plus more? The book of Hebrews tells us this, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. And what if a lot of our problems that we face in this world today has to do with the fact that we believe that this is all there is? John Eldridge in his book, the Journey of Desire tells a parable of a sea lion who had lost the sea and was living in a desert that was dry and dusty, but something inside of the sea lion longed for something more. Eldridge writes, how the sea lion came to the barren lands no one could remember. It all seemed so very long ago, so long in fact it appeared as though he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. I mean, how could that be? He was, after all, a sea lion. But, as you know, once you have lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how odd, you come to think of it as home. I mean, isn't it odd that we have become accustomed to certain things? Like unhappiness and struggle. In a lack of peace and pain and disease. And, and we've even settled within ourselves with this expectation that someday I'm going to breathe my last breath and that's it. <coughs> Friends, what I'm telling you from the Bible is that's the desert. And you were made to swim in different waters. And I think that some of us struggle With the idea of maybe we think, oh, it's probably better to live in the desert because we've come to believe uh, when heaven is spoken of, when we hear about heaven, that heaven sounds more like hell. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, We're told that we will be some wispy, ethereal, ectoplasmic, eternal being that is a vague representation of its former self and through all of eternity, we will just emanate positive vibes to one another. Or we're told that we'll be these little Cupid-like angels resting on clouds and, and strumming harps for all of eternity. Now friends, that doesn't sound like an eternal gift to me. That sounds like I just looked into my stocking and I found a giant lump of coal. But what if all of that is just unimaginative gobbledygook. So let's ask a question. What is heaven going to be like? And when you look at the Bible and the Bible talks about heaven, it's like putting together a 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. You hear pictures and glimpses of heaven and everything that the bible describes in terms of heaven is is a glowing review but here's the deal if the only interaction you have with heaven is maybe you're on facebook and someone posts a verse about it or or you hear someone who's underinformed talk about heaven you might miss the big idea that the bible tells us about heaven and it's this that heaven is better than the best version of your dream home. It's better than anything you can imagine. So let's just spend a couple of minutes and put the jigsaw puzzle together a little bit. When you look in Revelation chapter 21, the scriptures say this of heaven, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Now here's the idea. Heaven is not this ethereal plane in the clouds or something like that. When the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about an earth 2.0, a better earth than we experience now. In fact, it talks about heaven and earth colliding and earth becomes the place where we dwell in eternity with God. Let's put more of the jigsaw together. When the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about things that we're familiar with. It talks about heaven being like a city, a city that's designed by God. Heaven is like a country. And we know that countries are special places. It's a place where you have a citizenship, a place where you have a residency. Heaven will be a place filled with purpose. In the book of Revelation, it says that the curse is removed from work. So here's the idea. There will never be a day in heaven where you will wake up and say, oh man... I wish I didn't have to go to work today. Heaven will also be a place of true rest. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of rest where you've just like binged all day on Netflix and, and you just look at your chest and you're covered in these greasy, nasty Cheetos and whatever drink you were drinking. No, I'm talking about a rest that is a settled contentedness where you're at full peace with who you are and who God made you to be and with the purpose that He has given you in this world. And here's what's really cool about heaven. In heaven, we get body upgrades. No wispy willows floating around in heaven. No, the Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15.53, our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Friends, the Bible says that you will get a body in heaven that will outlive the stars You see the picture here now. You you see a place which is a resurrected earth with resurrected bodies. There will be resurrected human natures. We will be what we always could and should be. Resurrected nations. Resurrected cultures. And this place will be eternally filled with the things that we've come to love in this world like art and culture and literature And music and drama and the environment will be pristine. And I even believe that we'll break out of this place and we'll make our way into the galaxy in heaven. Now I hope, as you listen to that, that that sounds good to you. I hope that you can feel a sense of craving for that. So now we need to ask another big question of ourselves. The question is, is heaven our default destination? Or or maybe another way to ask the question is, does everyone go to heaven? I want you to imagine a scenario with me. Imagine that you have received an invite to a very luxurious wedding. The invite came in. It was written in beautiful calligraphy with gold script. And this is a high-class deal. You know it's a high-class deal. In fact, it's all you can think about for the next so many months as you're anticipating it. The day comes. You follow the address on the invitation. You make your way to a skyscraper. You go all the way to the top. And you see at top a beautiful view. You look into the reception area and there are... Waiters in tuxedos and they're passing around hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages that you don't even know how to pronounce the name. And in the reception area, there's a four-part musician group and there's beautiful decor. And and you're looking in and you're like, man, I've never seen shrimp that big. And look, they've got lobsters over there. You can't wait to get into this. Now, as you're approaching the reception, there is a gated area. And standing there with a podium is a maitre d' and he has a, a leather book. He stops you and says, may I have your name, please? You give him your name. And he opens up the book and he starts searching and he says, you know, I, I'm not finding your name. Would, would you please spell it? Well, now your face gets a little red. You're feeling flustered. You slowly spell your name to the maitre d'. He goes back down, looks at the book, analyzing slowly, and then abruptly lifts his head and says, "Um, yes, your name is not found on this list. Waiter, will you show them to the service elevator? And like that, you're gone. Now on the drive home, you feel angry and you feel foolish because you remember what happened now. You received the invitation in the mail and included with the invitation was a little RSVP card. And you forgot to fill it out and you thought to yourself, anyway, who, who turns in RSVPs? People know. They just know that I'm going to be there. So what was supposed to be a great night turns into a night of humiliation. Now it turns out that Heaven is a place where everyone has an invitation, but not everyone responds to the RSVP. The book of Revelation says, Nothing evil will be allowed to enter heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a parable that Jesus told about a king who is putting on a luxurious wedding party for his son. And the parable gives us a picture of two types of guests who find themselves disinvited to this wedding party. The first guests are, not, are disinvited because they receive the invitation and they're not even interested in attending the wedding. Uh, they come along and and they they just find something else that they would rather be doing and and spiritually speaking um, this gives us a picture of people who are simply preoccupied with life they they don't take time to to pause and to consider God they're just too busy for God or were too unconvinced that God could be real or that God would have any kind of meaningful, tangible impact in their world. And the king says of them, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Why? Because they disregarded the invitation. But then there's another guest who actually makes it to the wedding and then becomes disinvited. This guest arrives at the wedding dressed in some other attire than formal wedding attire. Essentially, the the person arrives to the wedding and and they decide that they're going to come to the wedding on their terms and not on the king's terms. And the king says, how did he even get in here dressed like that? Because we know what's involved with a wedding, right? We, we know that there's a couple of things that have to happen. You have to respond to the RSVP, and you have to dress in a fashion that would honor the family that you're coming to celebrate the union of marriage with. Now friends, I share this with you because these are the dynamics that could prevent a person from being found in God's book of life. You know, the big question we need to ask ourselves then is, how do I get on that list? The first thing we see is, yes, you have an invitation to heaven, but remember, that includes an RSVP. So the invitation is an invitation to trust Jesus. It turns out that Jesus didn't just come into the world to be a cute little image of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes for us. Well, that's great, and, and it does provide some nostalgia around Christmas, Jesus came into the world because we were separated from God, spiritually. And the Bible tells us that there was nothing that we could do to make our way back to God. We were ruined. But Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead, certifying that He had conquered sin and death. Friends, Jesus did all of this because He wanted to extend an invitation to you to heaven. And the awesome part is that everyone's invited. Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what your background is like it doesn't matter what you've done the bible says everyone has an invite in the book of romans anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced another verse everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved saved from what the bible says eternal separation from god or the word it uses for that is hell saved to what save to an eternal home that you've always craved, which the Bible calls heaven. But remember, you can't get into the wedding party if you do not fill out the RSVP. So the Bible says, to RSVP to heaven, you must put your faith in Jesus. What do I mean when I'm talking about faith? I mean, you're putting your hope your confidence, you're resting your worldview in the fact that Jesus' death on the cross was all sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins. That something wasn't right between you and God, but by virtue of the fact that Jesus came, there is a way back to God. A simple way of thinking about it is to say, He died in my place. Paul shares in the Scriptures how we respond to Jesus' RSVP. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Friends, that's how you get your name on the list. Now, here's a little caveat. You you have to remember the mistake of the second guest and not make the same mistake. Uh, You must come to heaven on heaven's terms and not on your terms. Uh, We can't come to heaven saying, well, I know that the, uh, the invitation and RSVP said that I have to trust fully in Jesus and only in Jesus. But, you know, I decided that I think there's many roads that lead to heaven. And so, I just chose an alternative road. And I'm going to take that road instead. Or, or to say within ourselves, I know that the Bible says that the only thing that I can really trust in is Jesus' goodness, that I don't offer any goodness in this situation. But I've decided that I'm basically a good person, and I don't really need Jesus for my salvation. I can rely on my own goodness. Friends, if you try to get to heaven based on your own patchwork of religiosity or your own goodness, you are going to walk up to the maitre d'. He will look at you and say, I'm sorry, but your name is not on the list, and And can you think of any more horrifying words? John 14.6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I want you to think about something with me. What's involved when you plan a vacation getaway? What kind of planning do you put into that? I know for me that when I'm planning a vacation getaway... I get pretty excited about it. I, I like thinking about the travel to the place. What kind of stops are we going to make along the way so that we can maximize this trip? And, and where are we going to stay while we're down there? Is it going to be some resort-type place that has a giant lazy river that I can just bake in the sun in? Or, or are we going to find an Airbnb where they have all of the homely things that I, I love to have, like a washer and dryer and those types of things? And I also think think when i get there where are the best places to eat And, and where are the tourist traps that aren't designed just to steal my money but are actually a good time let me ask you if we put all of that planning into a getaway that is only going to last for a week or two how much more planning should it be involved as we think about our eternal home I want you to take a look and imagine something with me with this rope for a minute. Now, I don't know anything about magic, so you're not getting a magic trick tonight, but uh, I do want you to imagine that this rope, instead of coming out of this box, goes through the wall, down Osterville Main Street, and on into affinity. I want you to imagine, too, that the red part of this rope represents the life that you are living right now. And all of this rope is a timeline of your life, so the next part of the rope represents the life that you are going to live in eternity. And you know what's mind-boggling to me? As many of you get so preoccupied with this part of your life. With all of this, and, and you're obsessed about it, and you want this part of your life to be perfect, and, and that's all you think about. In fact, some of us get stuck on this part of our life. And we work through all of this part of our life, and we salt money away, and we plan, and we prioritize, because we're like, I want this part of my life to be perfect perfect ideal and you're thinking about it and you're obsessing on it like what am i going to eat and and then you create this list and and you put little boxes next to it and you're like cairo egypt and i want to see the grand canyon and i want to you know make sure that i learn how to play some kind of instrument so you pick up the ukulele or something like that and you just start checking the boxes along the way and that becomes your bucket list and i think to myself Are you kidding me? That's all you're thinking about? Like, what about all of this? What about all of this? Friends, it turns out, according to the Bible, that this does matter. In fact, the decision that I make to respond to Heaven's RSVP by putting my faith in Jesus and trusting in Him and living for Him greatly impacts the happiness that I will experience for the millions and millions and millions of years on into forever. But We think so much about this. We think, oh man, I just want this to be comfortable. I just want this to be enjoyable. It was Jonathan Edwards who was used greatly by God in the lives of people at one point in our history. He helped many people to understand that they needed to respond to heaven's RSVP. He said this, It becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life, why should we labor for or, or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and our true happiness? It was at the age of 20 that Edwards made certain resolutions. And one of them read like this, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. And here's what is so upside down with all of this. When you live to obtain as much happiness as you can for eternity, it turns out that you get a lot of happiness in this life too. In fact, more happiness than if you weren't living for eternity. Well, how do I do that, you ask? Paul tells us in Colossians. He said, think about the things of heaven not about the things of earth and friends even in the business world we understand this uh covey's seven habits says in order to be successful in the world you have to begin with the end in mind and so if you live your life with heaven in mind you will live the kind of life that will bring maximum joy now and maximum joy in eternity let me ask you do you crave that Is that something you long for? Do you know tonight if you would be found in heaven's book of life? And do you want to be found in heaven's book of life? Why not respond to heaven's RSVP? Let me me ask us to do something tonight. I want you to just take a couple of moments to quiet your mind and your heart. So don't be thinking about all the things that are either going on after this or tomorrow for Christmas, what what you're going to eat, and and all the list of things that are running through your mind. Just kind of set that aside for just a moment and close your eyes with me. And as you're closing your eyes, I just want you to ask yourself the question, have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever responded to heaven's RSVP? And if you haven't, I would love to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Or you can respond to that RSVP right now. I have to pray aloud. You can pray quietly in your heart. But pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, in the best way I know how, I put my faith in You. I believe that You died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again to new life. And because you came, died, and rose again to new life, I can enjoy eternity in heaven with you. And I want that. And I commit to, in the best way I know how, right now, following you with my life. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, friend, if you responded to that RSVP tonight, congratulations to you. Heaven is going to be an eternal party, an eternal celebration. It's going to be glorious. Let's uh, turn now as the worship team sings a song.